0: I have started and exited multiple companies. I am an avid investor in early stage companies. I advise some of the hottest startups and have worked with many of the top tech companies across numerous industries. I'm a software developer by trade, but I also have an MBA from Duke University. I seek out companies who defy conventional wisdom to drive innovation in any industry. And in this podcast, I interview the founders of those companies for you. Hello folks and welcome to the podcast. I have a really inspiring guest today. I met Bobby Robinson a while back via a mutual friend. Uh, Bobby is a rock star attorney and a tech company founder. Uh, Defiance recently acquired IntelliDoc, a contract management system he developed first for his own law firm and then commercialize for other firms. Uh, Bobby's a very motivational guy, always energetic and happy. I don't think I've ever seen him upset or <laughs> stressed. <laughs> and he's always busy on social media. I really have enjoyed watching him uh, build out his social media uh, personality through the years. Bobby, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Hey man, thank you so much for having me, John. I'm really excited about this opportunity, so thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I know, I know you're you're a busy guy with all the different things that you have going on. Oh, so I'm hoping yeah. to get into some of that today. <laughs> just just trying to be reflective of you, man. Oh, <laughs> <thank> you. <laughs> you're too kind. By the way, right now we are sipping on Angel's Envy, Angel's Envy bourbon. Um, At some point, we're going to switch to the rye, and I want to get your live opinion on on what you like between the two. Absolutely. No no rush on that there.
1: Yeah, yeah. We'll get through this one first. Yeah, exactly.
0: No, no keg stands with, yeah, the, uh, yeah. with the Angel's Envy. No, no. <laughs> Great. So first off, can you give the listeners your background, your education, your, your, your career, kind of how you got here? And you can start as early as, as it makes sense. For yeah.
1: You. Yeah. So, so I'm originally from South Florida, uh, Miami, Fort Lauderdale area, and uh, moved to Charlotte 2012 to to attend law school at at Charlotte School of Law. Um, And then, you know, I've been an entrepreneur all my life, right? So I've, you know, endeavored in real estate and uh, professional services with regards to consulting. And, you know, law school has always been something of interest to me. Um, Even after I got my MBA, it was just one of those things. I wasn't prepared to do sort of this dual degree scenario. And so I was a non-traditional law student per se with regards to just not going to law school directly after undergrad. Um, and so I had a lot of professional experience before entering law school. So I was pretty clear in terms of like my path with regards to like, Hey, I wanted to do corporate work or I was really interested in intellectual property. Um, and so those were the practice areas in which that I, you know, pretty much funneled my, my, uh, courses towards, And then after law school, I took a compliance job. Um, Not quite sure if I really wanted to practice law, even after passing the bar. Um, And then I I launched my own boutique law practice, um, the Robinson Law Group. And um, it was just a really fun and unique opportunity for me to support, you know, startups and um, other folks, athletes, and, and uh, other professionals with regards to their uh, business endeavors. And so we did a lot of M&A work. We did a ton of business formations and commercial agreements. And then more importantly, we did a ton of uh, trademark work and licensing deals and things of that nature. And so uh, we grew that to a really large, uh, at least large bystanders with regards to just a boutique practice. And then the opportunity with my current firm, Nexon Pruitt, came, uh, which uh, I, I wasn't uh, looking for. It sort of just just came to me, and it, it was a great opportunity to come in as a partner in our Charlotte office uh, to to build out that office and to raise the the profile of the firm in the Charlotte market, uh, and I, I know we'll talk about networking later on, and and so, you know, I've, I'm fortunate, while I've only been in Charlotte for about eight years, um, I've quickly sort of Gotten on the scene and, and made some great connections, uh, to include yourself, um, and I think that was an important aspect in terms of you know the firm looking at me and and kind of what I've what I've built. And so, um, and then that sort of leads us into Intellidoc, right? And so you know, I've developed Intellidoc out of the need to say you know, hey, there's a there's a need here, and as a small Law practice, I really couldn't find a, an M&A tool or a contract tool that was sufficient for a small boutique practice. Everything was sort of on the enterprise level, and I thought that there was a huge opportunity in the small to middle market space for um, a tool such as IntelliDoc. And then as we, so this we'll isn't, this is sort of into it. Yeah. So this point.
0: isn't a tool that is, um, replacing the data room. This is doing something that a data room wouldn't do. This is much more around the workflow management. Yeah. This is around right?
1: contracts and the process with regards. And, and when I know we'll, we'll get <laughs> into it later on, but you know, as, as a transactional attorney, you know, and you're being an entrepreneur who've had to hire a Lawyers in the past, it's like you know we bill by the hour, right? And if lawyers are spending a no, ton, no, you of bill by the six by the six minutes, the six, minutes the six minute <laughs> increment, right? You know that, <laughs> and so it's there, they, there you go, right? And so you know when you start to think about it, at least from an operational perspective, it's how how efficient are these contracts, and and you know what is our process around approvals and review and so forth, and it could get very expensive, and there's great technology around automating these processes. And unfortunately, the legal industry um, is, is fairly uh, slow with regards to adoption of innovative tech. And although we've seen an explosion in tech investments in the legal space, it's relatively still behind the eight ball with regards to where tech is today in many other mature industries. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a huge opportunity for us to really feel a void that was long overdue, and I'm sure we'll, we'll delve into that a bit yeah, more.
0: Yeah, we will. There's so so many places I want to take that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but so it's, so it's safe to say that you, you, you always had your eye on law. Um, you, you, law you did, and, business, and business, right? Yeah, right.
1: it was just a very unique combination, um, and that's the thing I enjoy, and I feel as though, John, I bring a different level to my clients because, you know, no shade to my my colleagues who are very brilliant uh, professionals. It's one thing to sort of advise how to form a business, and it's another thing to like build something from the ground up. It's just a yeah. it's a unique experience, right? And so my clients sort of get both from me, and it, I don't know how to bifurcate or separate. The legal and the business—it's just kind of an all-in-one thing for me.
0: Yeah, no. One of the biggest complaints that a lot of entrepreneurs end up with with attorneys is there's business advice and there's legal advice, and sometimes I'm going to make a business decision that an attorney doesn't understand, doesn't see, that doesn't see eye to eye with, and it's like I I understand your business, I I understand Mm -hmm. why you 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 think this, but it may not be. Maybe I want you to focus on legal right now. And my guess is you can be a lot more pragmatic because you're you've worked on both sides of that equation.
1: Yes, right, and that that's huge uh, because if I'm talking to someone such as yourself, you you have certain priorities, right? You have return on investment, you have reputational risk, you have financial risk, and it's important for me to speak your language. Mm-hmm. Within the framework of legal, right? So, hey, John, this is c- what you can and cannot do. Ultimately, it's a business decision either way, yep. um, and you got to make it. But it's my job to really frame it up for you to just sure. kind of understand what you're facing, and then we can kind of talk through the pros and cons of either option. But it's it's always going to come down to it being a business decision. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's 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 interesting. Some of the uh, how. Uh, complicated things can become yeah. uh, when, when lawyers get involved with it. But the reality is it's much cheaper to think about it ahead of time oh my than when shit goes sideways. Uh, when it's, right?
1: it, it's likely to go sideways um, and folks kind of shy away from having those conversations because of those six-minute incremental billing. <laughs> uh, but but you ultimately end up paying so much more uh, if you don't, right? Yeah. And so it's it's so important to have those conversations. Lit- and litigators
0: and tend to cost a lot more than oh corporate gosh, attorneys. Oh my gosh! Right? Oh my
1: gosh! Yeah, you'd rather pay <laughs> us. My job is to keep you out of court. You know, and that that that's important too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so um so so I think you already answered this. So you you. You typically have practiced M&A law and gotten into the IP side of the house as well. Yeah,
1: it was fairly organic, right? So, uh, you know, M&A, you weren't seeing a lot of minorities doing corporate M&A. And I thought it was just a fascinating thing. It was just an interesting thing for me to get into with regards to the buying and selling of businesses. I just was intrigued by that. Um, and then the IP side, again, a very underdeveloped with regards to representation. Um, and so you didn't see a lot of minorities doing IP work. Um, and so I was just very excited about just intellectual property, trademarks and, and copyrights and all of that jazz. Mm-hmm. And um, let, let know, me ask you this. Yeah. You,
0: I, I was I'm curious how you did business development, because you mentioned you were able to build up the practice and yeah. stay very busy. Yeah. D- did you focus on on minority business owners and my, minority stakeholders, or what, what was the business development's uh, focus um,
1: there? Initially, yes. Initially, I um, started working with a lot of minority-owned businesses. My firm was certified mm-hmm. um, as a minority-owned business. I, I, I had no clue um this whole world of supplier diversity and how a lot of corporations had a number of initiatives to do business. This was sort of pre COVID pre George Floyd and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. There's a renewed interest in that now, but even back then there was still an interest in it. Um, And and many of those companies had to become certified in order to do business with some of these large enterprise companies. And so we went down that path and um, that sort of opened the door for enterprise, but then it also introduced us to, a broad swath of certified businesses that, you know, in many instances uh, we were the first law firm they've ever even thought about hiring, right? They've never really thought about using Mm -hmm. a lawyer. Uh, Many of them may have uh, went to LegalZoom or may have used some sort of online provider, really not necessarily understanding the, the true value proposition with regards to what an online service provider would be versus having a relationship with an actual attorney. And so we were able to sort of storytell around a lot of that, the relationship aspect, and um, that helped us build a lot of continuity. And I think it was just a multiplier effect of every entrepreneur kind of says like, who's your lawyer, right? Yeah. Who, who, who's representing you? You're obviously doing great, right? Who, who's kind of helping you. And then it's, you know, it's the accountant and it's the financial advisors. It's that whole, you know, team that you sort of work with. And and we were able to build a really good network. I'd say about at that time, pre-COVID, I'd say 90 plus percent of my business was referrals. We we really didn't do a whole lot of advertising at some point in time. Things were just organically. But, but at some in. point
0: it was less about minority-owned businesses. Oh, and now it's some just a startup it's, it's, lawyer. It's a startup
1: yeah. lawyer, right? Yeah. So at, you begin to just migrate as you you know, dip your toe in me being sort of in the startup space as well. And then folks are like, oh, you're a lawyer and you're a tech founder. I, I want to do business with you because, yeah, you you understand. Like, and that goes kind of back to our initial point, you know, you sort of sit in my seat as well. So what have you learned? What have you experienced? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that is very helpful. And so it did sort of migrate into other spaces to where we have, at that time, I had a very diverse portfolio of clients, again, um, startups to middle market, it, it was just kind of it ran the
0: gamut. So did Nexon Pruitt acquire your firm and make yeah. you a partner? That's how it yeah, went down. and That's how it went down. How, yeah. how was that? And That's my story, and I'm sticking to so, it. <laughs> <laughs> how was that sitting on? That now you know you've done all of those, these M and A transactions, and now it's your transaction. How yeah. Can you speak a little bit to that experience?
1: Yeah, yeah. It was, it was. Um, so, so we we kind of agreed late 2019 that the transition was gonna happen. And we had been talking for some time and I knew that I was juggling a whole bunch, right? My firm was in Charlotte, we were in Atlanta, and I was doing a lot of traveling between the two cities and we were thinking about going into Florida and other markets. So, so there was a lot sort of going on there and it just made sense for me to work with a lot of larger firm. One of the core selling features or points as to why I, I made the move is um, is that uh, Nexon Pruitt is a large regional player uh, with international presence. And then I I would have to farm out, John, a ton of work because I didn't do it right. I didn't do employment work. I didn't do litigation. I I didn't do environmental or tax law. And so those matters would still come to me, and then I would have to find folks to kind of handle it. Um, And now in this case, if it still comes... But I now have a host of attorneys in-house that I could turn to um, to help me with those transactions. And so that was a selling point for me. Um, and then it just gave me a larger platform to work on larger deals from a capacity perspective. And so, yeah, it was certainly interesting to sort of wind down my own firm. Um, and I, the, the, the the drawback, no fault of anyone, it was really just the pandemic in that I had folks on my team who were going to come over and we kind of had to put that on pause mm-hmm. until, you know, things sort of pick back up because I was quite frankly, still impacted by, impacted by the fact that, um, I had some, uh, quite a bit of attrition in my, you know, book of business. Right. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, uh, and I don't know if you know how law firms work, but, Partners kind of bring in the money. You eat and what you, kill, right? <laughs> you eat what you kill, right? <laughs> and so, you know, if if I gotta make sure I'm whole and before I can start building out my team. And so actually next month will be a year that I've been at the firm. It's been a rapid time. Um and, and so I'm I'm still building, right? I'm That's still great. building and learning. Yeah. And
0: and what is your role primarily now? Because I see that you're doing some things that are more kind of influencer type of behavior. Man,
1: I'm so excited about this question. Yeah. So, so we talk about sort of the, the market. So, so prior to COVID, I was, my, my practice was split between corporate M&A and uh, intellectual property. Right. And I noticed the market shrank, right. When COVID occurred, all of my M&A referral deals, they just weren't, it just wasn't happening unless you were in purchasing some sort of distressed business or, you were, uh, you know, really good at healthcare acquisitions or spaces that were doing very well, and I did very few healthcare deals, um, and so I didn't see a whole lot of M and transactions. I'm starting to see a bit more. So, like every great entrepreneur, I had to find a space um, that was emerging, that being social media. Um, that really didn't have uh, a ton of uh, saturation with regards to attorneys that were playing in that space. And so, me being a millennial attorney myself, I thought that it was the most appropriate thing for me to kind of investigate um, what are the opportunities from a legal perspective for me to leverage my corporate background as well as my IP background and bring that to social media. And I discovered that. Uh, brands who are working with influencers have the same needs right they have to put contracts in place with influencers they uh the the content that influencers are producing that's intellectual property so that raises some issues and then you know there's uh there are legal requirements uh when um, you know influencers are endorsing products so that's regulated by the Federal Trade Commission. So you probably have seen the hashtag ad and all of those disclosures that are required. And that was really exciting for me. And I'd said, well, gosh, I could could literally do this and make a name for myself in this space. And so I created this brand, the Influencer Attorney. um, And that's what I've been building.
0: Do you spend more time Connecting to influencers or building your own influencer presence? Because I suspect it's a little bit of both. It's a little
1: bit of both, right? Because I have to raise my, it's, you know, it's such a big blue ocean, right, John? And that um, influencers, it's a fairly new space, right? And so influencers have no idea what they need uh, from a legal perspective. And then brands are still trying to figure it all out, right? Um, and so I have to do a hybrid of the two. I have to let folks know who I am and how I can help them, and then make the connection with those individuals. So yeah, it's it's a hybrid for sure.
0: Yeah, we we hear so many people, <clears throat> both investments that we look at at defiance, but also clients of ours where. The influencers are a big part of the marketing strategy. I mean, it's, it's, it's 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 very rare that somebody doesn't have some sort of influencer. It's, uh, it's, it's huge. I was
1: just looking at a a survey the other day or some sort of market study. And it's like, um, it's a $13.4 billion industry now. And I saw somewhere where about 60 plus percent of brands are now taking, um, out of their marketing budgets and setting aside and establishing influencer marketing budgets as an independent budget. And I, and I find it very difficult to believe that, you know, the traditional way in which brands have engaged their audience has been, you know, print and billboards and radio and TV commercials. And you can't measure the return on investment, right? But you can with an influencer, with their engagement and the number of sales that you can tangibly see and their ability to move product with their audience. Um, And so I I really don't foresee this space going anywhere. In fact, we've seen more dollars go into influencer marketing since the pandemic. And I I really don't think that's going to change once things technically go back
0: to normal or whatever that means. Your opinion, because I was, as, as luck would have it, I ended up recently making a connection to an influencer that is my fiance's client. Yeah. And we started talking about influencers. I was talking with somebody about it and I think they're going to get it worked out and they're looking at, Hey, should I give equity? Should I give cash? And they'll, they'll get that all sorted out. But I was, I was trying to describe, let me ask you this. Do you think of 50 cent famously, took a stake in vitamin vitamin water, water,
1: which paid off tremendously. (laughs) Is that an
0: influencer or is that a more traditional?
1: No, uh, it it is. And we're starting to see that sort of, so what we're just describing is just the form of compensation. Right. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing um, even with influencers, entertainers who are becoming brand ambassadors, another colloquialism for influencers to say, um, yeah, I can't afford to pay you a hundred thousand dollars per post. Um but I'm interested in giving you some percentage of the well, company. It worked out for fifty. It right? worked it out tremendously <laughs> for fifty, right? Yeah. But then that 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 has paved the way for a ton of uh, particularly startup brands who want to quickly blitz the market and you have a baked in audience. It's it's so much easier and quicker to give someone a couple percentage points in the company and then you're on Main Street with your brand. You're starting to see it with a lot of direct to consumer products, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it just be shoes or, you know, I don't know, supplements or vitamins or whatever it is. Right. So there's so much that you can do. Um, but it's, it's such a, it's a good space. And, you know, I, I want to, I'm at that age, man. I just want to do something that that's fun and exciting and, um, you know, I, I enjoy it. So it's, it's a five month journey so far and it's, it's been going good with this brand.
0: Very cool. Well, I'm sure we're going to come back to, 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 to your current, where you're currently spending your time and the influencer thread, but I'd like to shift gears a little bit. Um, I, I met you. And um, you said, I'm building this technology platform. I said, what have you done in technology? And you said, Oh well, none. <laughs> Nothing, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, which, which, which I think is awesome because you yeah. obviously were able to be successful with yeah. it. Can yeah. you speak to how you went up? So, you, you've you got this idea for IntelliDoc. You yeah. are the first and best customer for yeah. it because yeah. you own a law firm, yeah. um, which is a great recipe for success, yeah. by the yeah. way, being your own yeah. first best customer at uh, How do you go about figuring out, how do I build a product?
1: Um, It was a lot of... Research. It was a ton of having conversations with folks like yourself, right? A lot of YouTube videos, a lot of conferences at the time. Um, You know, here in Charlotte, we're very fortunate to have a very thriving, you know, startup scene. And um, there were a lot of great opportunities. I would go to pitch breakfast and just sit in and really just. Try to understand this whole space of just startup and and tech, right? Um, but I'm I'm fearless, man. You know, I'm I'm like I, I could figure it out, right? If nothing else, you you're not, well, you're not afraid
0: fi- to stub your I'm toe not, either. I'm
1: not, bro. And I'm like, you know, let's figure it out and let's have a conversation. And I I'm so fortunate to to be in a position where when you have a great idea, um, the nature of Charlotte, everyone that I reached out to, including yourself, it was. Let's have a conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Let me let me tell you what I know. Um, and you were very helpful amongst uh, several others, just to kind of help me feel comfortable with making decisions as I put my left foot in front of my right foot.
0: Well, and and, <laughs> and you didn't raise money for this. You I did not. You paid yeah, for yourself, I, I bootstrapped it.
1: I bootstrapped it, and that was sort of the investment I had in myself and the belief that I had in this product. That uh, we were gonna be successful, um, but I'm not also remiss that that's a very fortunate position for me to be in. My firm was very successful; we were we were cash flow positive, and that sort of helped me sort of underwrite the cost. But I think we're gonna get to some comments around just some mistakes. I probably made a whole lot of mistakes in spending money too early or. Investing in things that I didn't necessarily need to have, but you don't know what you don't know. Yep. Um, and I learned a lot in the process, it was frustrating. I had my moments where I think you and I would grab coffee. I'm like, John, I don't know what to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, you know, you, you'd calm me down and give me some, some practical advice. And, um, you know, I'd feel better about myself. And I feel like I could go and conquer the world again. And, we'll, we'll, you know, and that's just the cycle of entrepreneurship. And you just got to figure it out as you go along. The, and, the highs uh, and the lows. The highs and lows, unmatched. man, it's, it's unmatched. Um, and, 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 and no two highs and lows are the same. Yep. You know, because it's like, you know, it was it, it went from issues with sales or, or or product development or, you know, just client engagement. So there's just so many facets of, you know, building this this brand or this company. And um, you I, know, I
0: like to use a metaphor for that. I, I like to think of systems as a series of potential bottlenecks and for me it's what is my biggest bottleneck right now and I'm going to go tackle that and then I'm going to look at what the next bottleneck is so to your point the bottleneck might be product management our product sucks it's not doing what we said it's going to do it's buggy by the way we're uh cracking open the the rye how does that taste compared to the bourbon to you
1: the rye is awesome (laughs) but I like the bourbon in that it's a lot smoother
0: uh yeah, it does have definitely more spice, yeah, spice and bite to, to it. Yeah. Bite to it. But it's 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 awesome. <laughs> so my vote, my vote is the bourbon. Okay. Okay, that so got? what you got. You, what do you're you an have? unconventional thinker. I like the rye, but I but <laughs> I I I think it's great that you that, that you think the bourbon's better and you yeah, and you're sticking yeah, with it. Yeah, stick with it, man. You happen to be wrong. I'm I joking. <laughs> <laughs> totally joking. You're John. I'll let you get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm joking. I think they're both great. Yeah, they're uh, pretty great whiskers. Do you awesome. know why they call it Angel's Envy? No, I don't. So when they, um, when when you make bourbon or or rye, obviously you 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 um soak it or you you store it in in um oak barrels, ah. and it takes on the flavor of the oak barrel. And depending on the amount of um temperature variation, it's why Kentucky makes really good bourbon because the the temperature changes dramatically. Hmm and the the wood expands or contracts and the more frequently it does that the more flavor you get so that's why you you can age a bourbon for a couple of years in in Kentucky whereas a scotch you might have to age Ancient. 18 years in Scotland wow. now what they so in the process of expanding and contracting i think up to 3% of the of the product is lost every year to evaporation and they call that the angel's share so this is what <laughs> we get and the angels don't get it so oh, the angels, it's envy just, it. angels
1: envy <laughs> amazing you mentioned sort of i got to uh recall the uh bourbon that's stored in, in the ocean have you have you
0: yeah so there's a couple there's louis trey which i louis think is trey it's, it's the, a Cavassier. It's, it's a
1: Cavassier. yeah i have not tried it as
0: of yet but i've heard it's amazing it, it it's amazing there's a couple other really interesting ones there's another one that um was the last cognac that was Harvested before the locust swarm of 18 something. Oh my in gosh. France, right? And oh my gosh. So, so there's, it, it's John the
1: Great historian. <laughs> I'm probably getting most of this shit
0: wrong. So if, if I had Todd here, I'd have him well, look it up. Look on it Google up, right? EA. Right. Well, whether, that'll decide whether we keep it in or not, right? So, so Bobby and I disagree on on uh, Angel's Envy, but that's fine because cool. they're, they're both great products. So You're still my boy. Man. <laughs> I appreciate that. So, um, yeah, so so I, now I completely lost track of where we were. We're, we're talking about building the technology product. Um, we're we're um, talking about, I, I was talking about the system of bottlenecks that you yeah. overcome, and so yeah. one minute it's product management. Oh, my gosh. And then your next bottleneck becomes, well, sales. I need to make sales. Yeah. And then you make a sale, and then it becomes customer support, yeah. and it, it's a feedback yeah. loop. And I yeah. think...
1: And then it becomes we, customer retention, right? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, it, it's this whole sort of life cycle. And then, you know, it's, it's a continuum. And, you know, particularly at the phase that we were in, we were sort of still MVP. We're still figuring things out. We're still learning our customers. And again, you know, every industry is different. And so there's this sort of varying degree. And I think you, you know, one of the things I had to learn is just, you know, obviously when you have limited resources and you don't want to stretch yourself too, too thin, you certainly have to be very strategic you got to make some very tough calls and you, you, you just don't know whether or not, you know, you're, you're going in the right direction. And that's that's, again, um, why I think I'm very, very fortunate to have like folks like you in my circle to say, hey, John, I, I'm really struggling with this, man. And I, I need some help. And, um, you know, and that has been very, very helpful. Right. You
0: know, just just going through that process. So what what surprised you the most in building a technology product? Was there one thing or a couple things or?
1: Yeah, I, I think um, for for me, obviously, you, you know, that things are just going to cost money, right? Um, but there were just these little nuances of, um, you know, just something silly, such as, hey, we're going to do this integration, right? You pay for the integration, but then there's this freaking expensive license that you got to get from the third party to do these other things, right? And so when mm-hmm. you start to factor in the cost, it's like, crap, I didn't. Yeah. Factor in another twenty grand for that, and then that you're kind of up a creek because you've already done the integration. You you hadn't sort of done the next phase of it, right? Yeah. To and you spend that, money. on And the you spend money on the integration. Yeah. So, um, so so I think it's really understanding how do we count the cost. Like, hey, again, it, nothing's going to be perfect, and you're not going to sort of know it, but at least let's kind of get as close to it as we can. Um, and so that was a very. Surprising to me, and that you know, if I had you know 100 grand, 200 grand in, in my in mine, um, but then it, it balloons to another number, it's like, gosh, you know, how, when is it going to bleed? Is there anything else I need to know about before we go any further?
0: Yeah, um, and, <laughs> and, and I think that is what most of the time when I talk to technical <laughs> product founders who don't have a technical background, yeah. I, I warn them, I'm like, software costs a lot yeah even if even if you know what you're doing it's just expensive Mm -hmm. and i think one of the biggest challenges the technology industry has ironically is that products work so well when you think about how gmail works it it works in offline mode it works in online Online mode mode. it works on mobile it's fast it's response you think about facebook and the sheer volume of transactions they're processing but what you don't see is the hundreds of the millions of dollars that these <laughs> that these teams have built yeah. and the size of the teams oh that they've added, things yeah. things that look easy, n- are never easy. I, t- mm-hmm. I talk about Michael Jordan dunking a ball mm-hmm. would make you think it's easy to d- to yeah. make a dunk. Yeah. It doesn't just because he makes I it look easy. It. I can't do it, man. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh that that that's one thing that I think does surprise a lot of people is just seemingly simple things that become expensive to mm-hmm. do. I think the other thing is that a lot of people tend to stub their toe a little bit on let me spend money before i need to and yeah, and and, and, <laughs> and
1: I, I did that right and you you can kind of um you know put things uh you know the the cart before the horse right not really mm-hmm. understanding what it is and i i was sort of a that was the other thing that that surprised me how, how bad i needed a co-founder and i think mm-hmm. you know i think we talked about this if i could do things over that would be one of them is to find a co-founder early um
0: well let's talk about yeah. that because you ended up connecting with with chris elmore i think we we're fine to yeah, talk about that yeah it was, it was yeah. clear it, to, clear. it yeah, was clear it was clear yeah. for the uh for the announcement yeah so f- for folks who don't know chris is um a, a character uh <laughs> 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 em- employing it mildly one, one of we first, love you chris yeah, <laughs> well, I, I just had a had a drink when actually he 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 was doing sober you know he, he did oh a couple yeah months it was like dry something dry right? january dry or, dry something. or something from, yeah. so i, he so just I had a drink he hung out with me but um but Chris was on my podcast, one of the first employees at Avid Exchange. He's an entrepreneurship professor and just a really, really good startup resource. Yeah. Um, yes. Just just uh, really well-known around mm-hmm. town. So ha- talk to me about how you thought about your relationship with Chris, because he seemed to be the most important part of your team from that thought leadership oh, perspective. Oh, man, Chris was
1: everything for me, man. Um, you know, uh, not take away the fact that you were on my advisory board <laughs> and all that good stuff, so... Um, you know, it's it's funny because, you know, Chris and I, we met uh, happenstance at a networking event. Um, what are those? What are those? We you haven't we sorry. haven't had it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> how do we do that nowadays? Right. Um, so so it, and it was sort of a very much like you and I, it just it just sort of deepened mm-hmm. over the years and. Um, when I was building IntelliDoc and I, I correlated the, the automation with what was happening at Avid, um, Chris immediately kind of got on board, right? Mm -hmm. he's like, whatever you need, just, just call me, um, and, and he and I would have those same conversations, right? I think I would have you guys on, like, speed dial back-to-back. Back. Okay, <laughs> let me call John. Let me call Chris. Okay, I'm going to take what I want from these conversations and execute on it, right? Yeah. Um, and so, but he, over time, you know, he really— and, and for the record, he, yeah. Chris
0: isn't really a technology guy. He, I think he understands Stan's technology. Tech, yeah. yeah, he definitely understands and it. Sales is— S- sales is sales his thing. Is his I think thing. he said he's given over 6,500 presentations oh my on Avid.
1: Sales is his thing, man. Um, he's an I, animal. I, he's, yeah. he's a beast when it comes to sales. He gets the value prop. I think psychologically he connects with the customer to really understand their pain points and really just strips it down to which that it's hard to say no, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, so so that's where it goes goes to your point. I'm great, John, at a lot of things. I had to really beef up my sales muscles mm-hmm. right, And I had to become a, a selling founder. Every founder has you just gotta do it. there's you can't there's just you can't outsource it, right and and I tried
0: that, right and it just didn't work. Yeah, I mean you you need to sell until you're the until you become the bottleneck. Absolutely because only you can sell it, only I can it, sell it. yeah,
1: and I thought that to 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 your point earlier, me being an attorney, I could relate, obviously, with my customers, particularly in legal departments and law firms. And I think that that certainly helped open a lot of doors. But there's a science to this whole sales thing as well. And I thought Chris had a really good formula and does have a really good formula. And over time, it became obvious to the two of us where our strengths and weaknesses lie and it just made sense for us to to do business together, and so I'm really excited to have him on the team. And you know, he's he's opened a lot of doors. That you know he you know he was very instrumental in nudging also on the defiance sure. front as well. You know, the fact that I've known you for so many years, I've never once broached
0: that topic. So um, <laughs> it, kudos it is, to Chris. It, it, it's a hard conversation to have because yeah. I I feel like you're a friend. Yep, agreed. Like. I mentor you to some extent, but yeah. I don't. I don't. Yeah. You know, I, I think that was earlier yeah. on. Yeah. And and there's a lot of situations like that. We yeah. recently acquired um, Mike Provetz from yeah. um, yeah. Fraction Consulting, and same thing. Mm-hmm. Mike and I work out every every Saturday, and it and this is where having a partner who is every bit as bought in as you are is absolutely. very helpful because absolutely. As soon as we make the connection that hey, there might be something here. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I, I'm I'm here for you to talk to. I'm here. I was there for Mike, but it's yeah. hey, you're gonna work with Tarek, and Tarek and I are so on the same wavelength that yeah. it just works. It works, know. man. It, it's hard to find partners like it, that.
1: It does, you know? and you know, I I always say, you know, timing was everything, right? You mm-hmm. know, you and I have been friends for years, right? You were there when it was just like, and I don't think I even put the damn thing on paper by the time I had <laughs> spoken to you, right? But you were always supportive, right? Making connections, having coffee. I can't
0: tell you how many damn coffees we've had. Com- and uh, and it was over there on Commonwealth. <laughs> What's it called again? It
1: was like uh, Central. Co- was it no, Central? Well, Central, we did a yeah, lot. We did a that lot. was
0: on. That's on Central. The original was Central Avenue. And then maybe. Oh. The, but, but but then I there's one on Commonwealth that we met a couple times. I, I can't believe I I'm, I'm blanking on it. It's, it's a, been so many times. Yeah. I blame
1: it on the rye. rye I blame rye it, rye it on rye. that. Right. <laughs> the <Ray laughs> rye. <laughs> um, but, but, you know. It can't be my age no I, I you <laughs> notice I didn't go there right <laughs> so but but you know it that was important to me you mm-hmm. know preserving the relationship because you were so selfless with your time mm-hmm. and um it was important to me that I respected that right at all times and it's still that way to this day I think that's good um,
0: networking advice yeah in general because yeah. there are some networkers who only take <laughs> and don't give yeah. And who only think about what's in it for themselves yeah. and they don't respect the, the time. And mm-hmm. for someone like myself, who's been in the scene for a while, yeah. I, I quickly yeah. figure out the people oh, who are, are, <laughs> are, are, are not respectful of time and I, and yeah. I try to avoid those. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, I, I want to dig a little bit more deeply into this because I think you're a very good networker. Yeah. But I'd like to just real quickly before we come back to that talk about a couple of of quick topics. What will you do differently when you do this again? Cause I know you, Bobby, this isn't your last tech product. No, I actually have
1: two (laughs) more ideas I want to talk to you about. Uh, um, Yeah. I, I, as I stated earlier, I I would certainly get a Mm co-founder so much sooner, right? Like I don't care about equity. We're going to grow. We're going to build. Let's just establish a team and just based on all the pitches that I've done, um, I knew that was a dig Mm -hmm. on me, that I was just a sole founder, right? They love me. They love the product. But it was also important that I build out the team. And Mm -hmm. so I would would definitely do that differently. Um, I would also take a bit more time on um, really deeply understanding and fleshing out my customer journey and stories. We did a lot of it, Mm -hmm. but I thought we could do more. And while we still learn during some of our initial client and customer onboarding, I would probably just spend a little bit more time intimately peeling back the onion a bit more. Um, I think we had some great intel, right? But I also think that we could have probably done a bit, a better job on that piece yeah. of it. Um, so, so those two things for sure, because it's, it's all about the customer, right? they're not, if if it's not really solving a problem, because I think our, our MVP was great. Right. But I also feel as though we probably did some integrations and things that could have waited and I could have invested those dollars into something else that was a bit more meaningful. Prioritization is a tough one. Correct. Right. So I, I think kind of now hindsight 2020 I'm like, oh, did we really need to do that? Mm-hmm. Probably not, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and, and so, so yes, there, there are a lot of mistakes. And, and then I think, too, um, you know, being more gracious on myself, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, you start to see this market validation of your product with all these other companies kind of raising money and kind of, you know, all this stuff is happening around you. And it's like, crap, when's our time mm-hmm. going to come? Like, you know, and it's like, just be patient. Don't rush the process, kind of go through the process, um, refine these things and, and, and the opportunities will come and, you know, the relationship with defiance kind of was at the right time.
0: Very cool. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned, um, that angle, seeing competitors raise money. I I mentioned to you last night, we, I did an interview with Alex and, and Dan from, um, from 2U Laundry. And one of the things Alex talked about in this interview and the first one that I did with him is he watched Washio and yeah. Rents yeah. go raise, yeah. I think, a combined $30, 30 million dollars yeah. going after I, I've, I've going after I this that. market. Yeah. And you can sit there and you can say, you know what, I'm, I'm screwed. Yeah. Or you can say, well, this validates it's vali- what I'm doing. It's, it's Let validation. me do it in a more scrappy way.
1: Absolutely. And that's, that's exactly how I viewed it, to mm-hmm. say, look, if those guys can, can raise money what I believe is not an inferior product, but it's not really solving a a, a true problem. I I think we have something here, and I think we need to continue down this path. And I was very inspired by that, Mm -hmm. knowing that our time was going to come. And when the market knew about our product, it it would be a good thing. And so I was excited about it.
0: It's funny. Another of my repeat guests. I, my second guest ever was Maggie Williams yeah, from Skiptown. Yeah, skip town. yeah,
1: Skiptown.
0: And I and when I interviewed her, I'm interviewing her again on Wednesday oh, to talk about her pivot. So is that a three peat? That, no, that's a two peat. Two peat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and and I, I I'm gonna have to do a pre workout drink to get ready for oh, that yeah, one because she's yeah, a ball yeah, of fire. Yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's awesome though. She's no, awesome. she is. She's, she's amazing. Awesome. Um, but, but when I talked to her the first time. She goes and raises seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, which yeah. is no small feat, especially yeah. oh for a gosh. female entrepreneur yep. Yep. in a dog walking yep. space. And then I think I wanna say a month later, um, SoftBank announces a three hundred million dollar investment in their biggest in, in a competitor. Mm. <laughs> and it was it it was You, you can just imagine you, you feel good that you raised 750,000. Let's be honest. Raising any amount of money is amazing. That's amazing. But then you see 300 million and, um, and, and she said, you know what? Like we've, we, we can get in there. We can be smart with our money. Mm. We, we can, and, and look, SoftBank in many ways imploded since then. And that was one of their bets that did not work Work out. out. So I don't think that a company raising, we, we celebrate companies raising money as we should, um, but let's not lose sight of what we actually want to do, which isn't just raise money for money's sake. It's yeah. how do we build a great company that sustains for generations and creates wealth for everybody involved yeah. in it, right?
1: Yeah, it, uh, we could talk all day, yeah. right? So so that whole notion of sort of glorifying raising money is like a whole other tangent of a topic, right? Because <laughs> it's like, you know, can you do it? Bootstrap. And you're, you're starting to kind of hear... Of a you know build out of an infrastructure, of, yeah, let's let's kind of go the bootstrapping route, not not raise capital, right? Yeah, but, um, there is something if to, to be said though, with your com- competition raising a crazy amount of money, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing you know that there's this whole TAM told you know, total dress mar- market out there for you to kind of like raise the cap on that thing, and it that part is like dope and exciting. Right. To, to, to know that. And so it just means the sky's the limit if if you do it the right way.
0: Absolutely. Um, do now we, we talked about it. Did, did you raise money along the way? I did not. It was all bootstrapped. So do you you wish you had done that differently at any point? No, no,
1: no. I, you know, I'm not a fan of, you know, obviously giving away um, equity very early. Right. I, I I think there's something to be said, certainly about folks who, you know, believe in your vision very early on and willing to, to, to take a risk on you. But I, I'm just ready to take a risk on myself. Yeah. Right. I, I feel as though if I take the risk, it it mitigates your concern that I I don't have skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Right. And I need to have skin in the game. And that was sort of my. By the way, have My you read the
0: book Skin in the Game? I haven't. It's a collection of essays by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Have you read? He's Black Swan and Anti-Fragile. I've, um, read, Black Swan. Fragile. I've yeah. read Black Swan. So, so you ought to you ought to read Skin in the Game. He I talks got a lot to. about in any in anything, not just in industry, but politicians. Hmm. Um, he, he frames a lot of uh, a lot of where we introduce tail risk into uh, systems, uh, and he frames a lot of his other concepts around this notion of you want to be you want to work with people who have skin in the game. So you yeah. mentioned skin in the game <laughs> and I think I think skin in the game is one of the most important topics. There's a difference between and I talked about this with Alex and Dan last night. There's a difference between the relationship Alex has with Dan cuz mm-hmm. Dan Skin, skin in the game. It. And so does Alex Absolutely. and even your top employees. Absolutely. And, and we, we, you know, we, we want to think of everybody as a partner, but at the end of the day, there are people who have skin in the game and that it's a different mindset.
1: We, we move differently mm-hmm. when we have skin in the game, right? I mean, it's, it's no small feat to put six figures into a business mm-hmm. and then it's like this damn thing cannot work <laughs> out. Right. And then that means it has to work, yeah, right? We got to figure out how to make this thing work. And so, um, you know, so for me, that, was important right mm-hmm. so when I came to an investor it wasn't about you know I have this idea that I'm so passionate about right and mm-hmm. that people are interested in it's like no I, I put my own money behind this thing and um, so no we, we did not raise any capital not to say that I didn't try though mm-hmm. right I, I did have an opportunity to get a, a million bucks from a, a VC firm out of Alabama um, but I would have had to move to Alabama. I love Charlotte. We
0: just <laughs> built a house here a few years ago. So um, I love Charlotte too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a friend, actually, a very good friend from grad school, who moved down to Birmingham for yeah, a startup. And yeah, it's actually yeah, it's yeah. not bad. But I like Charlotte better.
1: I do. I do. So I, d- I had to politely decline after <laughs> months of going through due diligence and all that stuff. But um, so there were opportunities for us to raise. Mm-hmm. Again, it was I, I wasn't hard pressed to raise Mm -hmm. just because i was okay with where we were but i I was certainly actively pitching the company for Mm -hmm. capital
0: so i want to address the elephant in the room Um, and and you mentioned george floyd but minorities especially african americans are underrepresented in in tech um first of all i guess my first question based on an earlier comment is are they more underrepresented in law or in tech and startups
1: both, man. Uh, yeah. I'm like a... I'm like a, <laughs> a unicorn. A, a unicorn in both. <laughs> well, so so there's this stat that we all, minority lawyers like to quote. It's like, we make up like 5% of the profession. Mm-hmm. And like, even in the corporate space, it's, it's even less. IP, even mm-hmm. less, right? So I, that sort of supports my initial sort of thesis around like why I chose corporate and IP initially coming out of law school because I knew... Um, we were fairly underrepresented, but we were actively in these spaces and it was at a time where we're always looking for, as you know, we do business with people we know, like, and trust. Mm-hmm. Right. And sometimes we do. I business. saw Killer Mike, uh, started, Killer Mike. A, started a bank. <laughs> a bank. Atlanta. Right. I yeah. All of my love favorite it. Performing right. Artists. So. So. And that's 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 a phenomenal, you know, business model. And so um, folks are are actively looking for that. And so, you know, to to get to your point, we are very much underrepresented in these spaces. But I'm certainly encouraged now that we're starting to see this coalition of, you know, banks with various initiatives, VC funds um we have a long way to go right um you know it's certainly disheartening to see folks who um, can write an idea on the back of a napkin and raise crazy money and then you know minorities have to you know check every box yeah. right and if i, you know, I think
0: women-owned businesses women-owned businesses
1: are the same but, right? but i
0: want to get to that because that brings me to a concept that <laughs> i've I, i've had my eyes open, especially by our mutual friend Rod Garvin. Rod yeah, did yeah, introduce yeah, us he while did. he was with yeah. the chamber. Shout out to Rod. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Rod. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that there are opportunities that look wh- whether you should do it because it benefits you yeah. or not. There are yeah. opportunities, oh, man. And, and Rod opened my eyes to this. I, I hired Rod to do a, 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 a DNI initiative for Level mm-hmm. fairly early on because yeah. we were yeah. we were admittedly a very white, very male. Company mm-hmm. And not, I don't, obviously we had some biases, but I, th- I don't, I don't, I think that we were fairly open-minded. It is, sure. it is just, it, it is hard in technology to, fu- you know, to, to, to be more inclusive yeah. Yeah. for a variety of reasons. It's no excuse. They're, they're, they're just, it, it does happen. Yeah. But I said to Rod, I said, Rod, I told my recruiter that yeah. I want to, I, I, I want, you know, 20% of our candidates to be minority yeah. and I want, yeah. Um, I want to make five offers and I want to hire two people. And we ended up with three candidates who had massive offers from Google or Microsoft that we couldn't compete with. Wow. And, and, wow. and, and Rod looked me in the eye. And you know Rod. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, well, John, where are you recruiting? Yeah. And I yeah. said, well, Duke. UVA, yeah, and oh, UNC, yeah, no. and he's like, you, you oh, and he didn't no, yeah, you didn't find any black hands. Yeah, you
1: ain't gonna get no black. <laughs> <handers>. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but you know, but that that's so important. But though, but right? and
0: again, I try to. Be, I think I'm open minded about you, these things. You are, uh, but, you but, are. but 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 uh, but it it didn't occur to me. And then I said, okay, well, let's go to Johnson C Smith and Howard University mm-hmm. and start recruiting there. And yeah the business opportunity, there were candidates that aren't getting looks from Microsoft and Google. They're not. And I'm sure it's changed since then, but we found way more candidates just by taking that simple step. The other interesting thing that I noted along that that just happened recently, I caught up with a firm out of the UK that I'm friendly with Mm -hmm. and they own a portfolio of 17 businesses, a variety of digital industries. Mm -hmm. And, and I asked them how, how has, how, how have things been? And, um, you know very white british guys but yeah, <laughs> but he yeah. said he's like you know john we like one of our products is just taken off he's like i will call it dumb luck we decided it's a communication tool and a collaboration and learning management tool and he's like we decided a year ago that we were pivoting it towards diversity and inclusiveness wow and he said we've wow. we've rolled out like we rolled out the that that module in the software like literally a month before George Floyd happened. And he said, we now every single company that wasn't taking our calls, they they need it. And so so I think that I w- I would say to other entrepreneurs and investors, yeah. don't do this out of a sense of it's something that you owe or that you need to correct for past mistakes. Do it because there's opportunity in this, right?
1: There's um, a lot of opportunity, but more importantly deserving opportunity right you you know we mentioned earlier that um i'm fortunate right i I was fortunate that i built a law firm Mm -hmm. that was able to sort of underwrite the cost of this platform Mm -hmm. historic my background i i come from poverty Mm -hmm. right and so you know i'm sort of the quote-unquote black swan of of my family Mm -hmm. right in the sense of you know i'm i'm the success story right Mm Um, and, and I think it's important that, you know, there, there are a lot of, you know, black coders and, you know, but then more importantly, how do we get off the investment? Right. I I can't, I have a great idea. I can't even get the funding to kind of get it off the ground. Right. Mm -hmm. Banks won't lend to tech companies. So I got to get private money and no one in my family, you talk about the, the succession of funding, right. You know, it's like friends and family. No one in my family has ten thousand dollars laying around so how am i supposed to like make this work i don't know any wealthy people in my network
0: that's the hard part is what we tell everybody is get as far as you can with friends and family well if you're starting if you're starting if you're starting behind behind, and you don't have friends who have made half a million dollars what do i do
1: right and so so to your point about there are founders out there who are super talented commit and dedicate it and but for the lack of funding those products will never get to market and mm-hmm. I think we're doing ourselves a disservice by not providing the appropriate amount of resources and support and uh, in investing in those companies and I think it starts with you know making sure you have Women and Black and Brown folks mm-hmm. running these funds, who are you know sensitive to the plight of what's happening. It's no fault of anyone's, right? But but we have to create the opportunity, and it's important for all well, of it's us. It's the to fault sort of to, some people, just of not course, people who are living, of living today, <laughs> right? 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 And, and so, but it's important for us to be mindful of that, and then more importantly, as opportunities arise, to say, yeah, we're going to take it, and it's not even taking a chance, right? You evaluate that deal like you would any other deal. Yep. The fact that they're a black or brown or a woman founder should be irrelevant.
0: Well, and I think that's what people who want to do the right thing get wrong. And I think it's what I got wrong until I, you know, hired Rod to help me out. Yeah, yeah. I, like I, my yeah. heart was in the right place. I just wasn't looking in the right place. Of course. Of right? course.
1: And, and 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 that's the thing, right? It's mm-hmm. like you know, where do we look? Whether it's an attorney, like you know, corporations say, well, I can't find black attorneys to do blah blah blah. Have you used the internet to Google? Yeah. I, uh, I, would do, I would go back to Rod <laughs> Garvin. Where are right, you right. Where are you looking, right? <laughs> you know, if you're using the same recruiters and they're only going to the same schools. And, and that one kudos certainly to to Plug Next Improve it, And that's something that we've been considering, right? You know, are, are we recruiting from HBCUs? Are we really putting ourselves out there to really develop the pipeline of legal professionals that are women and diverse? Then you gotta go where they are, right? We know that as business one-on-one. If I'm, mm-hmm. you know, if I wanna connect with entrepreneurs, where are the damn entrepreneurs? And wherever they are, that's what I where I wanna be. Whatever they're reading, I need to be in those publications, right? And so the same is true when you're sourcing talent um if if you're not there but then more importantly if we're looking on the website and we don't see diversity and it doesn't match up to your messaging that you're diverse and inclusive we're not coming there yeah right we're not coming right cuz i i mean so so that's important too when that, that
0: that was what one of our investors pretty early on at level we were really on fire and going yeah. and get like gangbusters and and luckily we had an investor white rich mm-hmm. Male, yeah. you know middle-aged male yeah. not even middle-aged he's probably the age i am now but he not he, to cut he, you off but this it's it's growing on it's me. growing on <laughs> <laughs> that, that angel's rye is no joke it, it's damn good it's, or it's, damn it's, good whiskey it's, it's growing on <laughs> me. so um now but but our investor he he called me up one day and he's like look john i don't think you have biases i don't think you have like he's like i think you're a fundamentally good human being but yeah. he's like it is embarrassing to look on the website right now. We look very white, very elitist. Uh-huh. He's like, and, and that works when you're selling the way we're selling, but we're the way we want to sell. He's like, you're going to have an SVP at a bank or, or an SVP at Verizon or at yep. AT&T, or you're going to have, Absolutely. and, and, and there's no, he's like, you don't have, he's like, if, if you don't have it well represented, and he's like, the good news is I think we can fix it now. And that's yeah. what drove us to hire Rod. Sure. We were just very lucky to have sure. an investor who thought yeah. that way. And, yeah. and, and that, to me, that's what you need investors for, not just for diversity and inclusiveness, but you, yeah. in general, they need to help you see around the corners that you don't see. Cause you're so focused on, I just want to build the business and build a team. Well, i guess what I'm going to call the people who are around me. But, and then, but the problem is if you get to 200 people and you look like that, you're never going to fix never gonna
1: it. Never going to Fix it. Yeah. It's tough. And, and, you know, the other part too about diversity and inclusion—it's just good for business, mm-hmm. right? So to your point, yeah. you don't um, want a monoculture. You, you <laughs> don't, you don't, man. And yeah. and I think that you know, folks bring so much to the table, mm-hmm. um, and and that you know, with all the crap that's just going on, it's it's just folks are just good human beings who just need an opportunity mm-hmm. to bring to live their best life, right? And mm-hmm. and sometimes there are these these barriers, right? Very well intended. Um, we just got to do some course correction and that, that is applicable in tech. It's applicable in legal. Um, and I think people are starting to sort of wake up to, to these issues, but I, I, I I do feel as though we still got a long ways to go. So let me
0: ask you this, not to put you on the spot, but are there any resources that you found useful for minorities in particular looking to get into either (laughs) law or technology?
1: Yeah. Um, Definitely. uh, So so on the the legal side, I definitely reach into bar associations. There are some, you know, minority affinity groups and there are some minority uh, leadership legal groups uh, that you could join and be a part of. I also think just reaching out to uh, minority attorneys, whether they be women or black or brown folks who Mm -hmm. are interested in just mentoring and having a conversation with you, I get... Tons of law students who reach into me on LinkedIn and I think that's great advice. My my
0: my fiance is a is a a Latina and very successful real estate agent. She's killing the game out there. She's she's killing (laughs) it. Yeah, yeah. She's doing really well. And any any Latina that wants or woman who wants to get into real estate, she will take their call. They just have to. They just have to. They got to reach out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, They got to reach
1: out. And that happens. And I owe it. I owe it, man. I owe it to them because. I, I will say everyone that i've always reached out to and i've had a few that that haven't been responsive but for the overwhelming majority folks have always been responsive to say at minimum i'm willing to get on a call and have a conversation right mm-hmm. and my path is non-traditional right i i didn't i didn't have all the means i didn't go to a tier one school and i didn't neither did i, I. George yeah, Mason. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 nevertheless uh we, we did okay for ourselves we we, we made okay for ourselves so
0: that's awesome. How long have you been in Charlotte again? I know you mentioned it earlier, but. Uh, yeah,
1: I, I got here in 2013. T- 2013. 2013.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. How has the city changed for better or for worse since you got here? And, and not necessarily strictly from the diversity yeah, perspective, but yeah, just yeah, broadly yeah. speaking. Broadly
1: yeah. speaking, man, I, I love Charlotte, man. You know, coming from like Miami, Fort Lauderdale, I love <laughs> that vibrant lifestyle, but Charlotte is, it's, it's me, right? It's, it's enough a vibrancy um There's but an also energy, has right? a, yeah. a chill mm-hmm. to it right um and i've i've just seen the explosiveness i mean i i remember getting here and, and you know uptown was cool but then now it's like it's
0: yeah, well you, it's, back it's then south south end was just starting, starting to have more than a couple yeah of restaurants. I, I
1: don't even think they had finished the light rail by that time well I, yeah. um but but um Yeah, they definitely didn't have the blue line that runs up to university. No, no, they didn't. And, um, yeah, I I love Charlotte. I I think it's a great, and that was the whole point of, like, moving to Charlotte, right? Because I felt like, as a young professional, I could grow with the city. It was, you know, it was like D.C., Atlanta, Houston. You know, we had looked at other markets and, um, you know, Charlotte. And most of our family is still in Florida, so... Um, it wasn't too much of a hassle for us to get back home. And huh. um, so it just made sense. And so we love it, man. In fact, we, we actually live in Harrisburg, but I spend most of my time <laughs> in Charlotte. So I still claim Charlotte. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I live in Marvin and I still yeah, claim yeah. Charlotte. So,
0: um, so you, you mentioned the pitch breakfast and mixing it yeah. up in the Charlotte startup and tech scene. How involved do you try to? do you try to stay now with your new role in, at Nexon Pruitt? Do you, do you still go to those meetings? Do you still, I, I, it's I mean, been, obviously it's been, they're virtual yeah, now. Yeah. 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 It's, <laughs> it's been hard. Um, it's been hard for me. I used to be yeah, the consummate networker man, and it's, I, I can't do a zoom networking <sighs> it's, event. It's I'm sorry. Hard.
1: It's hard. And that's, that's kind of, that's, that's been the challenge for me. So yeah, I, I've not been as actively involved. I, I, you know, of course, you know, I read the Charlotte business journal. I, yeah, I try to Charlotte follow. Charlotte Know, Yeah, yeah. Charlotte Know, and all that good stuff. And so I, I try to follow at least, like, the news aspect of it, but I haven't, like, been to, like, virtual events and things yeah. of that nature. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to just the opportunity. Because, yeah, I'd always bump into you at these networking <laughs> events, right?
0: Yeah, I, I try to go. I, I explain to people, like, you, you, you take meetings, you take calls, you go to events that you really don't want to go to because you don't know when you're going to meet the next Bobby Robinson, when you're going to meet the next Chris Elmore, right? Like it's, that's the, the nonlinearity of this journey requires that you invest in in those things. And for me, the zoom is just impossible. It's impossible.
1: It's, it's not as personable, Mm -hmm. right? You and I are very relational. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's hard to really get to know someone. Um, there's no substitute for coffee or angels envy, right? There's no (laughs) substitute for it. Um, so, so I am, I'm definitely, and I, you know, I consider myself, Johnny, you probably disagree with this, but, um, very
0: introverted, right. To some degree. I'm not surprised to hear that actually, yeah. but please go it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, so outwardly you're yeah, extroverted, yeah, I'm but extroverted, but I, but I suspect but you, it's, yeah, it probably saps your energy. It does. Yeah, it does.
1: Right. Because, you know, I'm as, the same on, way. as entrepreneurs, yeah. it's like, we have to, it's just part of what we have to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but I didn't realize how much I missed sort of going to the. Ne- it became such a fabric of my routine yep. that um you know it was it, it's something that I've missed so I'm certainly looking forward to it. But yeah, absolutely, man. If if I didn't have to do it, I I wouldn't. Yeah. Right. So yeah, that's probably why you and I get along so well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I enjoy speaking in public. I enjoy moderating panels speaking on panels yeah um
1: takes a lot of preparation yeah it takes a yeah. lot it takes a lot of preparation
0: yeah. Yeah. and and through the years i've gotten better about not having to as much but sure. it, it exhausts me there's yeah, nothing more exhausting than going yeah. and shaking hands Same with the 100 people that you don't Same know here, bro i'm ready to go i'm ready to go <laughs> <laughs> so so you, you you probably don't have one given you know the your answer on that but are there, there are any startups right now that you have your eye on
1: yeah, it's, it's been hard, but, of course, I think we have a mutual friend, uh, Desmond, with Battery Exchange. I um, need to get him on, on yeah, the podcast yeah, next. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, uh, so, I've been, he's been doing phenomenal, and I've been watching him. Talk and, about and a guy
0: getting thrown a curveball. For those who don't know, <clears throat> Desmond owns a battery company where he literally, he manufactures in China these battery kiosks, so if you're at an, a public event and you're running out of power, you can... Basically, he partners with the venues to deploy these kiosks where you can then charge your battery, and then he shows you display ads. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. But Jesus Christ, could you oh have man. a worse Worst like <laughs> COVID? <laughs> no one's moving around. Yeah, yeah. No, one's no one's moving going around. To no one's no going big no, no groups of people. But he, but he's chugging along, yeah, and I can't yeah. wait to hear it. I, I, I haven't even reached out to him yet, but I'm <laughs> like I'm, I'm I'm literally he's in my next round of people that I want to interview. Yeah,
1: he's he's definitely going to be a success story mm-hmm. for sure. He just and has I'm, it. Yeah, I oh don't know what it is. Is but he oh has gosh. it. Yeah. He's he's awesome. <laughs> um so so apart from him, I haven't really had an opportunity to really like identify like the next up mm-hmm. and coming. I I may just be that that next thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope so. I
0: can't wait to hear about it. We'll have you back on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for a tech entrepreneur, somebody who has a technical background, kind of the opposite of, of, of where you were, but they yeah. want to build legal technology, what advice would you have for them?
1: Understand the industry. Right. I think it's also important to just understand the language of your customers, kind of what their pain points and, ch- it, it, you know, th- there's this there's a formula to it to some degree. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and so um, that was interesting because, you know, I'm in that space. I kind of understand it mm-hmm. um, and and it made it a lot easier for me to articulate kind of what what that value prop is. So, yeah, whatever space it is, I think you just really got to intimately understand the issue but then more importantly you can't be stagnant in terms of what the issues are today kind of mm-hmm. you got a forecast right kind of where is the space going What's happening, yep. right? And and I think that's important, and that, that's going to be very intuitive with regards to how we develop this product, right? Because mm-hmm. you know we don't want to build a platform that's like ten years behind, and before we even get out the gate.
0: Yeah, well, I, I liken it to remember Microsoft's Zoom? Yeah. Or yeah. Zoom, what was it called? It was they, they built an MP3 player, ah. and it was an amazing MP3 player. The problem was they <clears throat> they built it to be the iPod killer, but mm. Apple had moved on from the iPod, and it was now on the iPod. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the they had the one that was just that had no display it's and it would just it. and yeah. it would just randomly yeah. play songs from your list. To the shuffle is it the shuffle? It the shuffle, it, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And, and and it was interesting because Microsoft. Why did I remember that? They, I d- they deployed the resources to kill the iPod after Apple already killed the iPod, and you don't want to do that. Do you that. don't want to spend billions of dollars yeah. or. In, in our case, hundreds of thousands of dollars solving a problem that doesn't exist, that, that isn't going to exist in five yeah. years. You know? Yeah.
1: And, and so I, I think to to say that, I think that's universally applicable, right? To, mm-hmm. to, but you got to be intuitive. I think it, you can't be so, you know, heavy handed that mm-hmm. you're just trying to take this one thing out because it's like whack-a-mole, right? Tech is growing and it's expanding so quickly. Yep. Um, and if you're not sort of abreast to kind of where it's going, you'll be left behind.
0: Yep so this this is all good i want to shift gears a little bit yeah i want to talk a little bit about m&a since you've practiced that what size companies do you typically represent
1: yeah so so um most of my companies were most deals were less than 15 million Mm um you know and fairly industry agnostic um i've done buy side sales side uh really didn't matter for me
0: so you don't have a preference on because a lot of people and then my, my fiance included yeah. as, a, as a but you're law not yeah. not the, the yeah. investment banker but in her case she's she she much prefers to list houses because if you list a house you sell You don't it. have
1: to sell it yeah if you, if you represent a buyer <laughs> yeah, they yeah.
0: might never buy they may never buy right yes yeah, so and, and I know a lot of investment bankers think that way but as an attorney it's not I guess it's yeah, not as big yeah. a deal because you're generating fees you're either, either, either way
1: either way yeah. right yeah I think it's you know the level of preparedness, right? If, if mm-hmm. you're a seller, it's, it's getting the business ready and prime for sale, right? There's a lot of work that mm-hmm. needs to happen. Right. And then as a buyer, you know, there's obviously a lot of due diligence that needs to happen right on whatever your target is going to be. And so, yeah, I, I enjoy M&A. I think it's fantastic work. Um, you know, obviously, there are some markets right now that M and is just hot. You know, tech, and mm-hmm. we're seeing a lot of consolidation in tech. You're seeing a lot in healthcare and pharmaceuticals, all of which areas I've most of my work was a lot in retail, and you had a lot of franchises and things of that nature. So,
0: um, it, it's a great space, but I, I play both sides of the table for sure. So, what mistakes do you? Th- See, and you may not have been advising them when they were startups, but what when a company is a startup, early in their existence, are there things that they, mistakes that they make that later on become very expensive in the M&A process? Yeah,
1: I I think, John, the biggest thing that I've seen, particularly for, like, tech startups, is just not maintaining their cap tables, Mm -hmm. right? That's a a freaking nightmare yeah right just because you're so early on and then you have to put you, it back so so for the <laughs>
0: listeners who don't know i think most of them probably do but a cap yeah. table is just a, an excel spreadsheet typically or maybe it's in carta and it lists out all the different owners and all the different terms that they have yeah. in, in the real estate world they call it a waterfall uh-huh. um, but it lists out here's who has preferences here's who has common stock here's who has convertible notes, notes right and and it lets you ultimately calculate what percentage ownership a given employee Employees, or yeah. investor or Absolutely. founder has yeah. yeah
1: and and because of all of those nuances and the varying degrees of ownership if it's not tracked properly by the time we get to the table it's like oh we had these x amount of uh, convertible notes out there, but then there are two missing. There are ten, and then we're missing five and seven, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so we, <laughs> we we don't we don't know what what's happening there. Um, and and so I I would say you know really good and diligent record keeping is going to be imperative with mm-hmm. regards to, and you're going to need it anyway with regards to you know investment due diligence mm-hmm. and so forth. Investors are going to want to know. When and, and, and you don't even against, you, you can't yeah.
0: give out equity grants to employees that if you, you don't know don't what have. you have or, or you, that you yeah or they yeah. haven't been authorized. They, they're not <laughs> yeah.
1: So, so you know and that's important, right? And so a lot of you know founders are just kind of willy nilly, just mm-hmm. kind of giving out equity and just throwing out numbers and then putting things on paper and executing documents and then before you know it, you know you've overcapitalized the business. And to your point, you you've issued more stocks than you were authorized to issue and now we have to do all these amendments and resolutions and we have to sort of right size things. And and I think that could certainly be a turnoff for a, a buyer um, because they don't know what they're getting. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I and I think that sort of is a red flag with regards to just just are are there Subsequent liabilities that I'm just unaware of, right? Am, am I yep. going to get some some wild investor to come out of the woodworks to say, "Hey, I have this promissory note that you guys need to honor, right?" And and it's it's important, right? So yep. so I I would say that, that is one of the biggest. Well, but buyers things that want I, that to know I've who seen. they're buying
0: it from. Yeah,
1: yeah, and they they want to know who they're dealing with, right? Yep. And um, and I think that that hurts. Um, uh, the acquiring company's opportunity to to really maintain some sort of ongoing relationship with the buyer. Because most times, you know, they're bringing co-founders on uh, in various roles. And I think that sort of erodes the level of trust in your ability to to execute a department or lead a team and so forth and so i think it's it's it, it's bigger than just kind of a cap table it's kind of the post sort of transaction and the relationship mm-hmm. and so yeah we have to clean a lot of that stuff up
0: Quite well, often. let's flip to the other side. Not that attorneys ever yeah. make mistakes, but what mistakes do you see attorneys <laughs> make when it comes to dealing with startups?
1: Yeah. I, I think just with anything else, it's, it's not asking the right questions and really just trying to understand how this opportunity fits kind of in the big picture of the organization. Right. Because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, yeah, you acquire this company, but then, then what, right. Are you, is it just the fact that you just want to squash them as a competitor and just not do anything with it? Or how does this sort of fit within your strategic Mm -hmm. framework of growth? Um, And I, and I think some attorneys just, just want to do the deal, right? Let's just do the deal. And I don't really care about kind of what you do with it after that. And I I think it, it does a disservice to the client to really understand let's, let's think through this. And it goes back to your initial, uh opening question around just kind of separating the legal and the business Mm -hmm. right and it's just like let's have a business conversation about what does this M&A transaction mean for the business and then kind of drill down from there to figure out what legal considerations we need to make to ensure the business is protected
0: yeah yeah it's that business versus legal distinction is so tough to toe because on one hand you, you you say, hey, I just want legal advice. How do I have to word this? But on the other hand, attorneys see so many things. Oh, man, that we, we have to. That, yeah, yeah,
1: we're, we're already <laughs> at the Supreme Court. Like, what <laughs> if this damn thing went to the Supreme Court? How, <laughs> we, how we deal with it? Yeah, yeah.
0: So you, you touched on this a little bit. Um, but in talking about the mistakes that attorneys make when dealing with startups, what mistakes do large acquiring companies tend to make? When they acquire smaller companies, and again, you, you you hinted at this a little bit. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah I, I think you know, obviously, we we talk about the fact that large companies tend not to care about innovation as much in terms of internal innovation, and they'll just sort of acquire these smaller companies mm-hmm. because they are innovating, right? Um, and then I think it then, s- how do you carry through that innovative culture within the enterprise, and so that there's this sort of integration consideration or, or bottleneck with regards mm-hmm. to like. How, it's certainly frustrating, right, for a new, smaller, acquired company that's super innovative, very progressive, to get sort of absorbed into this larger enterprise that's antithetical to, like, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know, all of this growth. And so, you know, I think that is really the opportunity for large enterprise to say, I think they make a, a huge mistake with underappreciating the level of innovation that's required. Um, and not allowing the true value of that smaller company to thrive within the larger ecosystem of their four walls. Right. And I think that that to me undercuts the value of the acquisition to which that you're not getting the true value that you purchased.
0: Yeah. We saw that. Luckily we were the, the first good example where red hat. So so I used to be the COO of a firm called Mentra that was acquired by red hat. And we um, were the first acquisition done under Jim Whitehurst, who steered the company to amazing heights. I mean, the biggest exit in the history of tech was IBM buying Red Hat for $34 billion. and And, and um, Jim was hired back when they were a $400 million company. Mm. And so we were, the, the prior administration was initiated the transaction. The board pulled Jim to the side yeah. and said, we've <clears throat> ruined I won't say ruined, but we, we haven't done, we haven't had a good track record of acquisitions yeah. and, and unlocking value. And so your biggest job is to make sure this thing doesn't fail. Uh, they use the more colorful F word than fail. <laughs> and Jim sat Putting us down. Putting that mildly. J- Jim yeah. sat us down and told us that. And he said, look, we are we are going to err on the side of caution. Mm-hmm. I want you to keep your inventory email addresses, keep yeah. your laptops, keep your tech stack keep selling to your existing customers you don't have to do red hat technology and it was it was so interesting to see they were so scarred by the prior acquisitions because it's real easy you make an acquisition and then you think this has to work the same way we do and what jim saw is that where they were trying to go is from selling the system selling linux to system administrators to what they executed on, which is selling, selling to the business, you're selling transformation, to businesses. And and that, and that's why ultimately IBM acquired them. Uh, It was really interesting to see that we were lucky, not a horror story, Uh but we met, we worked very closely with people from prior acquisitions. Who there was a lot of carnage, a lot of turnover, a lot Absolutely. of culture clash. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's hard for it's it's hard small companies like Red Hat was at the time to be able yeah. to look at how do we do this yeah. better.
1: Yeah, and, and and I think you alluded to a, a strong point with regards to you know just culture and and then just general fit. What are we going to do with this right yeah. post closure and how do we exit? And there's really not a clear plan. It's like I love what you're doing. I think that's pretty cool. I think we should acquire you, but then it's like, well, how are we going to execute on this within this new framework? Yeah, with these resources and talent.
0: Um, I think that and, there's and a ratio of size where, and you can correct me on this because yeah. you've seen yeah. a lot more of these yeah. transactions yeah. that I have. But I felt like we were probably a twenty to twenty-five million dollar a year revenue company, depending um, on what twelve months you're looking yeah. at. You know, yeah. forward or backward sure. looking. Um, in a $400 million company. Yeah. And I feel like it was just, we were big enough to matter enough to their bottom line revenue that they couldn't kill <laughs> That revenue, that it was meaningful. If you're four hundred million and you add twenty five million, you care about every dollar of that. Every 25. damn penny. <laughs> <laughs> but but you can imagine that if an IBM, who's uh, I don't know how far they've shrunk, but they were yeah. at, at one point a hundred billion dollar a year company. Uh-huh. If they acquire a twenty five million dollar company, I think it's a whole different ball game. I also <laughs> think that if a twenty million dollar business tries to buy a twenty five million dollar business, there's going to be It's going to be tougher, right? It's tougher.
1: Yeah, Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of validity to, right, the valuation of the dollars. The the relative sizes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, oh, absolutely, right, because, you know, you see companies just, for kicks and giggles, just buy up $20, $30 million companies just to get them out of the marketplace, have no intentions to doing absolutely anything, but you talk about $400 million? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. what the hell are we going to do with this? (laughs) We need you to we need you to turn around and make us a billion dollars, right? Uh, and that, so so yeah, I, I think there's a stark difference between
0: you know revenue thresholds with these yeah. deals. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, Bobby, this has been great. <clears throat> Thank you so much for joining. Thanks for coming over to the Angels' ride. Yeah, side. man. This is <laughs>
1: you know I can always depend on you to introduce me to various. Th- luxuries of, of, of beverages so i appreciate it <laughs> it's not all just coffee sometimes no it no it can be bourbon man <laughs>
0: yeah when you threw that on the table i'm like i'm definitely in right now right <laughs> so before we do sign off are there any other things you would like to touch on or groups companies you would like to promote or
1: no man i'm, I'm just working hard to build this influencer attorney brand and so i'm really just trying to connect with you know, brands and agencies and influencers that are working uh, together and and need some support in terms of just general brand protection, including athletes. So, you know, I know you're big into sports. And so, you know, there's this whole, you know, movement with student athletes monetizing their brand. And so, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. So
0: Micah, Maneric would kill me yeah, if I didn't. Yeah. He, 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 he and, I, he did and it it. I
1: spoke about it. We, we, we had a conversation about his <laughs> daughter. Uh, so I, I sent him an article that I, I had written uh, about this particular topic. And, and I'm actually working with the firm on putting out some additional
0: content. So, so, tell, so. talk to me about this.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so um, uh, not not
0: specific to Micah's daughter. Yeah, but I yeah. understand she's a soccer player soccer for Clemson. Player she committed Thompson. to Clemson. Yep,
1: yep. So, so, the, but not specific to that. But just sure. in general, what's the what's the sure? Concept so, here? so the concept is that uh, historically, NCAA has prohibited student athletes from um, endorsing products or services or monetizing their brand for compensation, right? So that they they feel as though it sort of violates the whole rule of amateur sports, right? Mm -hmm. and So it kind of puts student-athletes on a professional level if they were to be compensated, right? Which
0: is crazy to me because when I was an accounting major in undergrad, I would have been lauded for (laughs) for finding a way to make money off of accounting. Absolutely, and it's it's (laughs) interesting because
1: you're absolutely right. Everyone on campus can make money but Mm student-athletes, right? Um, And and so uh, there has been a push to allow student athletes to, to now monetize their brands. Look, these, these kids are, I say kids, but you know, they're, they're monetizing their social media. They have huge followings on social media. Um, and they have every right, you know, to, to how many
0: followers did Zion Williamson?
1: He had a crazy amount, but I, I can't remember the kid, um, from Clemson, the, the quarterback. Uh, oh, Trevor, line, Trevor, 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 yeah, uh, Lawrence? Lawrence, Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, yeah, yeah, Lawrence. yeah Trevor yeah, yeah, is a yeah, very uh, the TV TV yeah, TV yeah. TV, <laughs> TV house. Um, I blame it on the angels. Yeah, Andy. blame it on the angels. <laughs> um, but he had like a massive. There was like a study done in terms of like how much he could. He could make like per year and i think at the time it was like a million dollars or something mm-hmm. like that and like endorsements and so uh anyway the the NTA is is uh, reviewing the rules to to change that of course there's going to be some stipulations around them not partnering with brands that also sponsor the the institution and things of that nature or sponsoring products that may not be good for the body, right? So maybe CBD products or some other products Mm -hmm. that they could not endorse. So there's going to be some restrictions. But the interesting thing is, though, that there are some states that have gotten ahead of the NCAA, such as Florida and California and Nevada, and they're using it as a recruitment tool to say, hey, come to our schools Um, you can monetize your brand, you know, you use the sort of the platform of the school. So a lot of schools are using it as recruitment tools to get some of the top talent to their institutions. And so what I'm doing now is really just helping these kids kind of start thinking about, um, you know, do I form an LLC? Do I file a trademark? Do I get a domain name? Do you Mm -hmm. know, like there, there are domain name squatters who will look at the top athletes in high school and will acquire all of I their... I didn't know tr- that, but I'm not surprised to hear <laughs> They will it. acquire, and then try to sell it back to you for mm-hmm. thousands of dollars. And of course, there's legislation around, you know, there's existing legislation that kind of push back on that. But it happens all the time. And I mean, it happened to the Washington Redskins. Like, there was a, a guy who kind of like bought up all the trademarks for you know, the Washington Redskins potential, renames, potential, that potential renames that Did they he pick do
0: wa- uh, Washington football team. Cause that was, the yeah, right. Left that left was, was
1: kind of why you ended up with that name. <laughs> <laughs> I happen to be a football team. Fan, yeah. yeah. Long suffering. There you go. There you go. So, so that's, that's why you ended up with that name because there's this guy out there with that. Um, so, so that's a huge opportunity. And in my, my estimation, I think student athletes will become the next rising class of influencers Um, to which that I can see them with sports apparel brands and vitamin supplements and all the, you know, music and Mm -hmm. all the things that sort of, you know, sort of aligns with the brand, you know, you know, weightlifting equipment, all of that. So, you know, really just kind of positioning myself to kind of help educate those guys and everybody's kind of getting out there to, you know, it's, it's going to be a damn, that shitstorm if it's that's one finish. that's been yeah. so tough
0: for me I, yeah. I i just feel like the ncaa um it, it it's hypocrisy to to take these athletes and to say we're not going to pay you oh my
1: gosh they're, and yet these co-
0: the coaches make how much money the universities make how dollars. much money I yeah. mean, it's, it's it's millions and billions of well dollars y- at, at, at the elite universities
1: y- yeah you think about like ea sports mm-hmm. and you know i i saw something where they they've re-entered the whole gaming thing right and then you know they've just sort of stripped name image and likeness from it so you kind of have these generic players Uh, without numbers or anything of that nature um at the ncaa level not at the nba level correct correct and so you know that's really important so i'm really really excited to see where this space goes i think it's going to be great Mm -hmm. um But I think for the initial several years, it's just going to be the wild, wild west until, you know, folks, there's a consistency in the application of law. You know, every right now it seems to be patchwork that every state's kind of going to do their own thing until um, either the NCAA or Congress or some federal law is enacted to kind of provide some consistency in terms of how this thing is um, facilitated. But...
0: Well, these type of tests, though, I think are what really, and, and I'm an outsider, I don't, I'm not certainly an expert on NCAA, yeah. but it seems like the conference, the power conferences have more power
1: than oh the NCAA.
0: God. And if they yeah. can't figure out some guidelines around this, why, why does it even exist? You're going to,
1: yeah. And I think, I think over time, and I, I think, I think you just hit the nail on the head with regards to. Just their ability to stronghold their influence.
0: Picture the SEC. If the SEC decides we're or ACC decides we're doing, we're gonna do it. It
1: it diminishes their opportunity, right? And Mm -hmm. and I mean, you think about just recruitment and the vitality of the conference overall with regards to talent. Mm -hmm. It's 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 gonna be an interesting opportunity, and I I never thought about just Mm -hmm. even the conference angle, right? Because you're not the only game in town, but yeah. you definitely are super significant with regards to you know just um, you know NCAA. Everyone just sort of that's the conference that's the go to conference, right? You yeah. Know?
0: Well, it, it was interesting to me <laughs> just to see how <laughs> some of the the more powerful conferences like Big Ten and and this we saw this in football yeah. and yeah. in basketball. The with whole COVID, thing about yeah, who's going to play or who's going to not right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, that, that, that's that's a really interesting dynamic i um I, it, it, it just feels so broken to me and there's so many scandals around the ncaa it's it, that's one of the institutions that i'm just completely fed up with mm-hmm. in our country mm-hmm. and, and maybe that's my own personal bias yeah. but it's, yeah. it's frustrating for sure
1: yeah and I, th- I think it's time for a change right mm-hmm. to your point um your your roommate shouldn't be able to to monetize their brand yeah. and, and, and and you can't just because you got a scholarship to play football yeah, it it right. just seems it, unfair if I it's, it's just I, yeah. if, if
0: I can review you know online video games or unboxing of things and, and I can make millions of dollars millions on it but I, but yeah. you're telling me that yeah I, because I'm making hundreds of millions of dollars for my university I can't make any money you that can't. that's just fundamentally unfair to it's it's to flawed. Me. Yeah. it's
1: flawed right and I think many of these kids come from various backgrounds to which that um those those dollars could, to to your point right you, you think about uh a small percentage of them will actually go pro, mm-hmm. but this could certainly be a different path to generational wealth or economic yep. equality if they're able to sort of maintain some some you know reputable presence for themselves on online. Um, and you see that right. Many of them are getting into media and mm-hmm. becoming other personalities and getting into entrepreneurship, and and that could certainly be a springboard if they're able to, to monetize their brand in a meaningful way. So I'm really excited and, um, you know, happy to kind of be a part of that
0: ecosystem, you know, in terms of helping these kids with brand protection. Yep. Well, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Micah literally was like, you got to ask him about this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we, uh, we, we spoke about it. I, I sent him, sent him the article. Um, and I, I think, yeah, I'd love to come back, man. And, 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 really talk sports and and legal and all that good stuff. I know that's outside of VC, but I think there's definitely going to be a lot of tech platforms around, you know, connecting athletes to brands and a lot of opportunity Mm -hmm. there. And I think, you know um, it's going to create a whole new space um, you know um, of opportunity. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes.
0: Well, look, man, I'm I'm sorry that we took this long to, to have this conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, no, it, it feels man. like our days at the coffee shop. Like, uh, <laughs> oh my gosh,
1: man! You know, we'd spend hours just with man. a microphone and uh, bright it. lights and, and yeah. a camera. Uh, and, and I think bourbon. I think Undercurrent was the name. Undercurrent of that. is the name yeah, of it, thank that you. coffee Shout shop. Shout out to Undercurrent. Shout that's out a great to coffee I shop. I love <laughs> Undercurrent. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: All right. Well, thanks, brother. I appreciate <laughs> yeah, you, likewise, you coming on board. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. All right. Cheers. Appreciate it.